Hello there. Sorry about my voice. I am fighting a cold. This is the second half of my interview with Tucker Max, where we explore his experience of success, the changes in his career, and of course, his pursuit of mental health care therapy. In today's discussion, we're going to talk more about his experience with MDMA-supported psychotherapy. And this is a form of psychotherapy, which is just generating a lot of interest and has pretty strong research support, is not yet legal or widely available within the U.S., but is certainly something that is certainly something that looks to be a powerful treatment option for people who are recovering from post-traumatic stress disorder. So Tucker is one of the few people who has had some early access to this form of treatment and This is what we're talking about in this second half of our conversation. If you feel like you're coming in halfway through, it's because you are, and you can go back to last week's episode where I released the first half of my conversation with Tucker. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host. I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So there was a time in which psychoanalysis sounds like you felt like you moved through and took a lot from it. And then you tried some other things and we'll sort of skip over some of that. And then you ended up with MDMA therapy. What were you seeking from that? Okay. So four years of psychoanalysis, uh, and then I I started meditating the final year and it really helped because they're almost opposite ways. But then um, psychoanalysis kind of ran its course for me. And then, right, I tried some of the therapies and, and some, they were good for a while and this and that and some helped, but there was no real... I, psychoanalysis gave me the tools where I met my wife about three years into it and then that relationship was amazing for me. And then having kids was amazing in a lot of ways. And so because of analysis, I had a lot of the tools I needed to deal with that stuff. But then as I kind of grew and progressed, I realized there was a level, there was a, an emotional level I was not getting to. Right. There was a level of a level of self, a level of problems that I had that I wasn't reaching through thought, right? Through rational thought or, or whatever. And and nothing else I was doing was getting there. Like you had a sense that deep inside yourself something was unsettled or undone or not healed or not even deep inside myself, just even behaviorally, right? Like yeah. I was nothing I it was so much better than I used to be, but there was still an undercurrent that it was almost like the only metaphor I can think of that even makes sense is like, imagine something like a, a raging river and you dam it upstream and okay, you've got it controlled, but there's still a trickle of water and you're trying to cut off all the water to make it sort of place you can build houses or whatever, right? So it was still, it was still there. And it was still holding me back, to be quite honest. Like, especially everything I'd done in my life before I started Scribe, my current company, I required me to be excellent on my own. Writing, investing, speaking, whatever, I, the only person I had to really rely on was me. And I was good at that, right? But um, a company is a whole different thing, man. It's a whole different thing. And a good company, a well-run company, it is a tribe. It is a culture. It is a family in a sense. Not really a family, but it has the relationships and, and it is all that sort of stuff. 
I mean, I, I did the smart thing and hired a CEO to run my company who's here now, but still, I mean, I'm a core part of this company. And so like, I, I realized I had a lot of stuff to fix, right? And, and this is one of those core business lessons that every single person in business should drill into their head. That I realized really quickly that every, virtually every single business problem we had was not a business problem. It was a, a, an emotional, personal problem that was dressing up as a business problem. And then in our company, because I was the, the center of the company in a lot of ways, creatively, right? That a lot of those issues were my problems, you know? And so I had to solve my problems. And so that was really the driver is that I realized that the, that the, the ceiling for growth at this company was my emotional problem. Not just, it was me and the CEO both. We're kind of the, the, this, our company is kind of has two centers, him and I, and, and it's our, it's both of our, us dealing with our emotional issues. And, uh, and we're on different paths and we have different issues, but like I had to deal with mine. And so I just wasn't figuring nothing else was working. And so I've got a lot of friends I mean, we have, you know, a lot of the same friends, but I have a lot of friends who are big into psychedelics and alternative plant-based therapies and whatever. And a lot of them for a lot of years had been like, Oh, you need to try this and this and that. I'm like, all right, hippie, go take your drugs and leave me alone. And like, but like, then it was like some friends of mine who are, who are very smart and very dialed in and who are not like weirdo, like spiritual people who I don't even mind them. It's just more like, these were very analytical people. And I saw them. They're people that are like you. They're like you enough that you could sort of understand their logic and reason it. Right, right. Exactly. I can think of one friend who's very, very, I won't say his name because obviously it's his business, but he's very famous. All of your readers would know who he is and very good at business, very well known at business and very successful at business. And my wife met him like five years ago or eight years ago, no, five years ago. And um, she's like, I don't like him at all. He's so creepy. And she just meant from an interpersonal standpoint. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Like I, I get him and I understand him and I, I kind of know how he is so I can deal with him. But like she met him or she we had dinner a few months ago and she's like, wow, he's like almost a human being now. This, this, all these psychedelics must work well <laughs> um, because like she, she likes it. And she's very intuitive, very much a gut based person. And yeah. she, I, I really like him now. Or I, I like now he's become a human. Now I really like him, but like, I, I don't mind being around him anymore. Yeah. You know? And so like, uh, it, I was like, man, if this stuff is working like that on him. He's got way further to go than I do. So I, I kind of did my research and I looked at all ayahuasca, LSD, psilocybin, DMT, all of it. And I think for me and my issues, the best place to start was MDMA because MDMA is designed for trauma, right? It's for, for PTSD resistant trauma. Like the studies are, uh, if, you, if you're treatment resistant, PTSD victims are getting incredible, 80 plus percent cure rates. Uh, and so um, I still, I felt like I had a lot of, in short, if you have an anger issue, it's generally speaking, it's because you have found anger to be an, unconsciously to be an effective defense against loneliness and sadness and fear. Against hurt. And so the, the, right, against hurt. The anger chases those emotions away and it makes you feel powerful. And so like most people in business that, that are angry, that's why, right? Not all, but most. And I squarely felt fed into, the, fed into that category. And so I was like, all right, I clearly have a lot of trauma I have not gotten to. So I took, uh, I kind of did my research. We did a book with called Trust, Surrender, Receive with one of the leading MDMA facilitators in the country. And she was willing to treat me. And so, you know, went to New York and I wrote a whole big piece on this on Medium. If you Google Tucker Max MDMA, it'll be a... Yeah, I'll post it in the show notes. Okay, cool. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was nuts, man. Like 
you want me to talk about the experience or what? Sure, do it. Yeah. All right. So you write about it, so yeah. people can like do the deep dive there. But so, so generally speaking, for most people, what it does is it kind of brings back up the trauma. In short, what MDMA does is it, and I'm taking, I'm speaking colloquially, not like scientifically. It makes your brain feel safe, so that you can bring up prior traumas and process them. Right, because that's the only way you get past trauma is that you process them usually empathically in the context of a tribe or, or some other person, in this case, therapy, right? And so MDMA makes your brain feel safe. So it brings up these, it, le- it lets these things come up and then you kind of get over them. And so I had a weird experience because most people on MDMA, from what I understand, reading like trust friend receive is almost all case studies. So in the case studies, people like they kind of relive the trauma but not, not like a hallucinogen. It's not a, you're not out of your mind. I felt very loose and very sharp. But most people, uh, like, they'll either remember things or things that they remember but hadn't really experienced. They'll re-experience it and they'll kind of feel the pain and the trauma and then they'll let it go. But it doesn't, it's not as bad, right? You kind of feel it in a more loving, safer way, right? At least that's what all the case studies say. Mine was not like that. Mine was totally somatic. Like, it was all in my body. So you experienced something in your body. Right. So I was like, if you've ever done electrical stimulation, like rehab from an injury, like the way they put the little pads on you and it, it, it flexes your muscles, it was like that all over my body. Like these like sort of electrical sensations or the sensation of the nerves firing. Or, yeah. Like flexing. Like my muscles were flexing. And, and I mean, like, especially my hips and my legs were like, you know, you have a like Jimmy leg or, or shaky leg. Yeah. Or, like it was like that. Right. It was really intense. Was it uncomfortable? Like it doesn't sound painful per se, but it was not painful at all. It was uncomfortable at first because it was weird. I was like, what the f is wrong yeah. with you? Right. And uh and if I focused, I could stop it, right? It wasn't involuntary, so to speak. But then as soon as I like I kind of surrendered again to the medicine, right? Then it came back. And and it was it was uncomfortable in that it was this is I think the metaphor I used in the in the piece I wrote. This is maybe not the best metaphor, but it's it's kind of all I have. It's like when you're taking a dump and it's like a big dump and it kind of hurts, right? <laughs> like it's not fun, uh, but like... Uh, but it's cleansing. There's a great release at the end. <laughs> right, exactly. There's a re- and, and you kind of need it. And it's like that. Like it's... It, it's That's the thing I, I try to make people understand in this. And it took me a while to understand is that the trauma, the pain that you are running from is there and it has to come up. You cannot make it go away. There is no way to just make it go away. It's got to be processed. What's great about MDMA is that it makes the processing easier than it would be otherwise. It makes it available. It makes it easy. It makes it safer. It makes it as unpainful as it could be. It's like turning off the part of your brain that's screaming, no, don't go there. Right, right, exactly. Your brain's just like, okay, we're cool here. We're, we're safe and we can... But you're still processing trauma. Yeah, it's, still, it's not simple. It is intense, man. It is really intense. But the cool thing about it is that it's, it's your friend right? The, the medicine is your friend. Whereas like, I've not taken ketamine, but I have friends who've done ketamine and, the, and ketamine is very similar to MDMA, except that it is not your friend. Like ketamine, you go in and you cannot get out and it like, it's going to kill you. Like, you feel <laughs> you're dying. And like, there's no, like ketamine is really intense. And I'm like, okay guys, you, you go ahead and do your ketamine. I'm, I'm going to stay over here with my friend. Right. Yeah. But it, yeah, it was, it was very intense. Like it was, your wife was with you in the session. Both times. Why was yeah. that? Why was that important to you, or why did you, the two of you, decide to do it that way? I would have done it alone if I had to, or just with Anne, with the facilitator. I wanted her there. I, we have a 
good, a very good relationship. But we also talk, she's in therapy too. We talk about this stuff a lot. Like, it's funny, just as a side note, people always ask me, like, we have a pretty good marriage. People always like, yeah, how do you guys have such a good marriage? And I'm always like, well, 90% of it is you marry the right person, right, for you. So we, we're the right person for each other, right? And, and the other 10%, honestly, like, our, I don't understand people who say relationships are hard. If relationship's hard, it means you're with the wrong person. Our relationship is really easy. Now, we have friction points, like everyone. But our friction points are not our relationship. It's the baggage that each of us individually bring to the relationship and how that intersects with the relationship, right? Like my anger creates issues in our relationship, but that's my, my issue to solve. It's not hers, you know? And she has perfectionism issues and things like that that cause real problems in our relationship, but they're her issues, not mine. Now, we, we support each other and help each other, but we have to solve our own shit, right? And so the reason she came was I think she was interested she's a, a nurse practitioner so she was interested just like you know this is her career is dedicated to healing people you know like like you heal minds she heals bodies same, same sort of thing but then uh, she wants to do it she's pregnant now so she couldn't do it but uh she wants to do it in the future but then also it's just a way of getting to know each other more to see more of each other right and i'm always willing to share in our relationship and she is too but I, it's funny. We have a little inverted. Like I'm, I tend to be the, the, I'm the verbal creative overshare a little bit. And she, at least in that dynamic has the, the more traditionally masculine, less verbal, you know, type, but more, more withdrawing, right. More withdrawing more, uh, but more sort of show you, I love you as opposed to tell you, you know? Yeah. And so anyway, so we didn't do it together. She just was there, but she means a lot to me. She's very important to me. And, and I wanted if I'm going to go through that something that intense, like I wanted her there. And so she was, she was there for the first one. And then Anne gave us another dose and, and cause Anne trusted her and thought she did, she knew what she was doing. So we, I, I did my second dose at home with just her, which is my wife facilitating. Like I was on the bed and she was there and it was even better then because the, most of it was, was me and inter- I was internally, but there were a few things, you know, NBMA has got about a four hour uh, lifespan in your brain, almost exactly four hours. And, um, there was about 20 minutes or 30 minutes that was focused on our relationship. And, you know, a few things like I brought up to her and said to her, and, and there were things, there were sort of things where she kind of laughed and she's like, I know, like, I, but I, like, it was important for me to bring it out. To say out loud. Yeah. But yeah, so that's why, and, and it was great. I mean, it was, it was really good. Like, I'm excited for her to do it when, you know, when she's, she's ready. Mm-hmm. And you wrote, you wrote about... It sounds like some of that dissipating anger, like you fi- you're finding things more tolerable without that big anger reaction, whether it's a crappy seat on an airplane or, you know, other, other things that come up that just make life hard. Are there other things now that you're a couple months out from it that you notice are different about you? So just, just to, to make a word to listeners, I've only done two MDMA sessions. I know I'm going to need at least one more. And then also I feel like psych, I'm going to do, when I, when, when I do MDMA runs its course, I feel like I'm going to try psilocybin and LSD and maybe even like 5-MAO-DMT. Maybe. We'll see. Like, um, I feel like I, I, this is, I'm only at the beginning of my journey, right? At this point, are you trying to solve a problem or are you, are you kind of experimenting and just sort of optimizing your health? No, I'm definitely, I'm definitely trying to solve a problem. Okay. Like there, there is a level of self-exploration that these medicines are facilitating. How will you know when you've arrived or when you're done? Or will you ever be done? I, I don't think there is a finish. Wouldn't that be yeah. great if there was a finish line, right? Yeah, no, I don't think there is one. I may be done with MDMA. I don't know. 
the reason I bring this up is I don't want to make it sound like I'm some, I'm an expert on my own experience so far and that is it, right? Well, that's, that's fairly standard treatment with MDMA, right? Is it's very, it's very few sessions, three, sometimes six. Right. Like it's just, it's not a psychoanalytic sort of model of therapy or even traditional talk therapy where you're, you're going a lot. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't know. My guess is, I, I don't even know enough to guess. At least one more time. What other people who have gone through several courses have told me is that the drug or the medicine tells you when it's done. And all of two, three people have said this independently who don't know each other. And they all say it's super weird, but you just kind of know like, okay, like there's nothing else to get to, right? Which doesn't mean you're done with therapy. It doesn't mean you're done with anything, self-exploration, whatever. It's just MDMA is designed for trauma, like to bring up trauma, right? And so even Anne, she said, yeah, you know, like I, I take it now once every six months to a year just to stay connected. She calls it clearing out the pipes and staying connected to the experience so that I can facilitate well. But she's like, I could stop. It wouldn't, you know, like there's not a huge benefit for me anymore. And so, yeah, like I'll do that until I'm done. And then I've gotten really into now a lot of, I I read a lot of Carl Jung in college and I didn't, I thought I understood it. I was totally wrong. No, now, but now I'm starting to get it. Nobody understands you. <laughs> right, exactly. Like I got Campbell, I got Joseph Campbell in college. You're getting it. I, oh, I yeah. love now, but there's way more layers to Campbell than I realized. And and Campbell and Young and Otto Rank and you know, Golden Bow and I'm, I'm reading those. And then a lot of the guys who are, who are the, the kind of early experimenters in combining uh, psychedelics and psychoanalytics like Stanislav Grof and... I started to read all those guys and men, a lot of those dudes had figured, because there's some women too, a lot of those people figured some, really figured some stuff out. And then you got the whole 60s thing where, where Nixon and his crew tied drugs to hippies so that they could politically suppress people. And then we had a whole basically 50 year cultural diversion. I think we're going to come back and, and all of that stuff, it, like this is the future for people. It's definitely for me, no doubt. Yeah, you know, I gotta, I gotta be honest. Sometimes I feel a little bit like, okay, here's just like here's another treatment trend. It's like it's like EMDR all over again. Like it's the sexy thing that everyone's talking about and everyone's doing, and there's all these trainings and blah blah blah. But this is different. But the the research is really strong, and it's not a trend in the sense that it has been around for a very long time in some underground ways, but also in some you know pretty soundly scientific ways. And I've seen some of the the clinical videos of. MDMA trials for PTSD and and they're very compelling. Probably not for everybody, like no treatment is for everyone, but I think it's a really neat experience for you to be on the forefront of something like that because it, it is sort of potentially changing and reshaping the way that we understand how to treat people. So, so to be clear, I'm not on the forefront. Like the, the forefront are people who like, like uh, what's his face who synthesized it and all the people who tried it and then the treatment people and like... And- yeah, but you're the... You're the communicator about it. I was going to say, the only thing <laughs> I'm doing is I am speaking a truth out loud that a lot of people know, but few people are willing to stand up and say, and say with it under their name, right? And so like, okay, that's fine. Like, I feel like that's, it's kind of been my role in life, right? Is to, it's funny, like I used to always tell the story, the emperor has no clothes, right? And people be like, like, I'd be like, yeah, that's my job is I'm the kid who's going to say the things that, that everyone thinks and no one will say. And I'll never forget my analyst said, she said to me, it was like our first or second, third month in psychoanalysis. She said, Tucker, do you know how the fairy tale actually ends? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? Then the kid says it and they all snap out of the reverie and like the king's embarrassed. She's like, no. And she sent me the link to the original like fairy tale. 
Do you know how the fairy tale, the actual fairy tale ends? Does the king kill the kid? No, the villagers do. Okay. They kill the kid. Yeah. Right? Because, and I, and I was like, holy shit. Because like, it makes total sense because the, no one, no one likes the person that points out not even their flaws, but reveals the truth that breaks their identity. Right? And, and so the original fairy tale is a fairy tale you would tell children so they would learn to not speak truths that would disrupt the social order. Yeah. And I was like... Like it's always told backwards, really. Right. right. We celebrate the kid who'll tell the truth and then that's our very American modern interpretation of it. But historically, the village wins. The village always wins. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they kill the kid. That's nuts, isn't it? Like I was, and then, then it made, but it makes sense. I'm like, oh, that describes literally my entire life. I, I, I totally get it. Yeah. I totally get it now. And it's it, it also, there's an element of like, that's the mental health problem with, with entrepreneurs, with leaders, with famous people, whatever, with people who are the ones who are saying the thing, who are out ahead of everyone else, who bear the responsibility, who are the center point of the company. I mean, they they run that risk of the village will eat you if you step out of line. And whether or not they can articulate that, they know it. And I think that's why we see, whether it's suicidal behavior or suffering or pain or, you know, we feel it. The weight of all that angry projection. Yep, exactly. I, I could not agree more. Yeah, it's so funny. I've seen it in my lifetime. I've seen a cultural shift. When I first started, the people who hated me the most were the religious fundamentalists, the ones on the right, the ones who... who sex is evil, like that, like you're old enough, you're about my age. We grew up with those people. Oh, totally. And in my lifetime, those people, it's totally shifted. Those people are almost gone. Yeah. And now it's the leftist fundamentalists that hate me, but they're both fundamentalists. It's just their God is totally different. Yeah. Right. And, and, and their professed beliefs are different, but they are exactly the same. Everyone on the, the edge. Mindset, yeah. this, the mindset is exactly the same. It's, it's, it's mind blowing to me to see now like the social justice warrior authoritarians. And I grew up with the, the Christian, you know, conservative authoritarians. And I'm like, oh my God, these are the same people, literally the same people, but it's the exact same mindset. That's actually something I don't think I've ever seen anyone really truly, art- I've seen people articulate it politically to talk about how, you know, like communism can go so far left it becomes fascism, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, like, that's a well-known political thing, but socially, but psychologically, right? Yeah. I don't think that's. I, I don't know. Do you know of anyone who, who studies that or who's articulate? No, but it's a, it's a it's sort of dogmatic, rigid personality that yeah. it doesn't really matter what it attaches to. It's it's hateful. It has to attach to a belief system and then defend that belief system. And the belief system has to be somewhat absurd. And it's got there's got to be things that like are ridiculous about it because that's like any cult you've got to believe a lie to prove you're a part of the group right the in group signal, and then like you've got it's got to be such a the uh, belief system so that it can ostracize anything like that's not perfectly aligned with it, and then like there's a few other things with it but it's crazy I've seen it in my lifetime applied to me like you could I can look at the emails I get I don't get anything from Christian fundamentalists anymore and now it's all crazy leftist like whatever it, it, but it's the same emails yeah it's the same emails the same thing it, it just sub out it's like mad libs right like i could write <laughs> the mad libs sort of stuff change some nouns around right exactly. yeah, i have um just one more question for you and then i i, I know you're gonna roll but you've used the word a couple times in our conversation and i'm curious what you mean 
by it. And that's the word soul. I don't know. I'm not sure. That's the the honest answer because I'll tell you why. Um, okay. I probably, I'm not sure if I would have said this explicitly, but at least five years ago, I would have had a very mechanistic sort of view of soul, meaning like the soul is just an embodied phenomenon within the, the mind. There's probably nothing, you know, like atheists, the way an atheist thinks, right? Yeah. I definitely don't believe in God the way a religion would. We talk about it, but like between psychoanalysis and MDMA, I worked with a shaman and she did all kinds of like an, like a Peruvian shaman, all kinds of stuff that like just isn't what Stanislav Grof called. There's a name for him. I can't remember now. I was just reading about this, but basically like things that can't be explained. Right. And so I've dealt too, I've seen too much and dealt with too much. And especially on even just MDMA, like I come, both times I've come out and I wrote about this in my article. I had these visions and not, not like a psychedelic, like a Joan of Arc vision, just more, I don't know. It felt like there was something outside of you that we're tapping into or even something so deeply inside of you that you... Right, one or the other. And, and so when I say soul, I don't know what I mean. I don't think soul is a fully embodied phenomenon anymore. At a minimum, what I think is that we, we do understand like pretty well now in, in... There's not much we understand about quantum physics and quantum mechanics, but we do understand that the energetic connections between atoms are way more intertwined than we ever thought, right? And, and there's a lot, and no one, we're at, the, we're at the, the very, very beginning of the beginning of understanding that stuff, but there is actually a real scientific foundation for, at least it's not ruled out, I should say, for the idea that that we are all energetically connected and that our if you actually understand physics, you do understand that we are just we are just energy. We are just embodied energy. Like that's not even a debatable thing. For sure, right? yeah. We're just all different forms of energy. That's it. But there is a very good scientific foundation for the idea, in some form or other, that our energies are all connected in one form. Or it's exactly what Buddha said: all things are the same, right? And he may have been exactly right. Like he may have been exactly right. And so I don't know what I believe anymore because I feel like. In terms of understanding this stuff, we are no different than the Catholic Church in 1100. Like, we don't know anything. We don't know anything at all. And if you think you know what you're talking about, you just haven't actually looked at enough data yet to realize. You haven't bumped up against the edges yet. You ha- you're not even close. You, you haven't even looked at the established data. Look at the established data on the, the physics of energy, and you immediately be like, oh, shit, we don't know anything. Any good physicist will tell you, oh, yeah, we don't know anything. And to some extent, I think we can say that about human psychology. Like we're just (laughs) these really intricate, complex matrices of all of these different variables. And I think one of the things that I have appreciated about your work and your willingness to talk very publicly about your experience in therapy, MDMA, psychoanalysis, whatever, is that sense of, of openness and experimentation and mystery right alongside the desire to be better, to change, to feel healthier, to take better care of the people around you, to run your business better. Yeah. No, it's it's hopefully too, because it'll mean we live in a better world. But I think our grandkids and definitely our grandkids' grandkids are going to look at us and laugh at how blind we were to things that were going to be totally obvious to them. You know, I mean, if you think about it, the most smartest, most advanced person alive in 1750 was wrong about literally everything. What makes you think that we're that far off from them? <laughs> we're not. That was only you know three hundred years ago. Not even, right? Yeah. Man, if we're right about ten percent of what we think now, I think we'll be lucky. And then when they get there in the future, they're also going to be right. You know, it's just this 
the, right. the human so condition. About twenty five percent or something. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. You're a fun fun guy to talk to. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Anytime. And and really not an asshole. <laughs> I can I can be. <laughs> be careful. I can be. There's still there's still triggers left. I'm not done with my therapy yet. Okay. You and me both. I am so grateful to have had this conversation with Tucker and really value his willingness to be upfront about his experiences and what he is learning and how he's growing and changing. If you are in a place in your life where growth and change is something that, you know, feels like needs to happen, here's an invitation to join me in the spring installment of the Zen Tribe program. This is a super small group of entrepreneurs. We cap it at eight and we meet weekly for about eight weeks and do kind of a deep dive into growth and change. And it's the kind of thing that is so much better to do together that being in a small group of folks really helps broaden your perspective and provides a lot of support and problem solving and ideas for things that you might want to change in your life. So if this is something that's interesting to you, go to the Zen Founder website and look for Zen Tribes and sign up or feel free to email me with any questions that you have. That group is starting the last week of February, so you don't have a ton of time. Act fast. <laughs>